Do you want to hear a story that's insane, sane, sane? Well, then just keep listening to this here episode of This Was a Thing, because we're going to talk about the crazy story of Crazy Eddie. His prices were low, 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 but his IQ probably was pretty high, high, high to get away with some of the things he got away with. We cover Crazy Eddie this week on This Was a Thing. This was a thing. This was a thing. The movie cruising with Al Pacino. Whoa. Cabbage Patch Dolls and Teddy Ruxpin. McRib and Cher Spoonstrap. Oscar Win. That was a thing. This was a thing. Hi, I'm Rob. And I'm Ray. And you're listening to This Was a Thing, the podcast that dives deep into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. On today's episode, we're talking about Crazy Eddie. This podcast will be insane! Now, this was a thing because sometimes when people become successful, they become a little bit deceptive. Why are you looking at me when you okay, say that? Okay, a lot of it deceptive. Mm. Uh, they figure out little loopholes in accounting, help get laws changed to yes, benefit their company, yes. break federal laws benefit their company and sometimes they even flee the country and uh the story has uh all of the above yeah really? the story of crazy eddie yes and get ready buckle in when we last left crazy eddie he was busy preparing his home for a crazy eddie home appliance blowout blitz get a microwave oven vacuum cleaner coffee maker food processor mini refrigerator even an electric iron it's all on sale now during crazy eddie's home appliance blowout blitz remember there's only one man to see for the guaranteed lowest sale prices and that's crazy eddie Get anything and everything at Home Appliances on sale now during Crazy Eddie's Home Appliance. So that one didn't feature his tagline, but it I felt like it gave it would give a good taste of the, the, the franticness. Yes. Exactly, exactly. Now, Crazy Eddie has been referred to as the father of retail electronic chains. Now, that is a title, huh? There's a lot to this story, so just get ready. Now, I used a couple great articles for this. One was from The New Yorker called Remembering Crazy Eddie. His prices were insane. I remember reading this. By Michael Shulman. The other one's from Mental Floss. Crazy Eddie's Insanely Successful Criminal Empire by Jake Rosen. This one interviews Sam Antar, who's Crazy Eddie's cousin, who worked for the business, and he had true insider info. So, and Sam Antar, I'll come to call him in this episode Cousin Sammy. So Cousin you, you, Sammy. you'll hear me say Sammy and Cousin Sammy. He wrote a detailed description of all the events that happened on his website slash blog, uh, White Collar Fraud. You know, once I read these articles, I realized that the story of Crazy Eddie was truly insane. Now, Eddie Antar was born on December 18th, 1947 in Brooklyn, New York. Yes. You, his grandparents were Syrian Jewish immigrants from Aleppo. And while living in Syria, they sold goods at a local market. So oh. selling goods was in the Antar blood. Eddie's father, Sam Antar, not cousin Sammy. I'm guessing cousin Sammy was... Uh, Named after Named this guy. after Uncle Sam. His dad worked at a discount retail store, and apparently the dad would bring home some extra cash from the store from time to time. So uh, it's been said that Eddie started to learn the art of the swindle from old oh, no. dad. I don't like where this story's going. He grew up in Flatbush, uh, and he dropped out of high school at 16, and the New Yorker says that he dropped out due to boredom. Could we do that? If we were bored, we could have dropped out? I think so. Damn it, I wish I had I know, that. right? Now, he would get merchandise from all these shady locations, and he started to sell random cheap consumer goods and electronics shortly after he dropped out of high school. This was 1963 and 64, so the idea of, like, retail consumer electronics was still, like, 
weird. His cousin Sammy said that he, he would grab people's attention by talking fast, and then he would eventually wear them down. And then eventually they'd be like, okay, fine. I'll take the TV. I'll take the TV. Sammy told Mental Flaws, he was like Fonzie, very charismatic and very smart. You steal more with a smile than you do with a gun. Oh, my God. Eddie would marry his high school sweetheart at 20, Miss Deborah Joyce Rosen. But we're going to call her Debbie. Hey, Debbie. Now, the store that would end up becoming Crazy Eddie first opens its doors in 1969 on Kings Highway in Brooklyn. Yes, I know Kings Highway. Okay, yeah. So that was where the first Crazy Eddie was. Get out. Yeah, it was called Sight and Sound. ERS and it was opened by Eddie, a different cousin of his named Ronnie and his father Sam. Now, Eddie, Ronnie, and Sam, ERS. Get it? Oh. Now, it only took about 18 months, but Sight and Sound's ERS were nearly bankrupt. Now, Eddie bought out his cousin Ronnie's uh, share in the store for $25,000. They each had a third in the store. So, Eddie now had two thirds. His dad had one third, but Sam just said, Eddie, you can. You can run the store. Go ahead. It was time to rebrand. The story goes that in 1971, a co-worker of Eddie's wife, Debbie, told her about how he got these great deals on electronics from some guy at Sight and Sounds. The co-worker told Debbie that he got it from a guy named Crazy Eddie. Soon after, in 1971, the store on King's Highway officially became known as Crazy Eddie. Okay. At this time in the U.S., there were fair trade laws. Do you know what fair trade laws are? I do not. It was a law that said that the same product had to be sold for the same price at different stores. Yes. Oh, fair trade. Yes. I just know it as government back the fuck off. Well, that's kind of how Eddie looked at it, too. They weren't helpful laws for mom and pop stores, essentially. Eddie still needed a way to get ahead, so he'd mark inventory down anyways. Just fuck it. I don't care what the law says. And it worked. People started going in there and they kept coming back because they could actually get that TV at a lower, you know, a little bit cheaper than they could at Robux. In 1972, Eddie actually decided He wanted to start advertising the store on the radio. You have to, Eddie. Now, he didn't produce a commercial or anything. He just wrote up an ad for the station's DJ to read live on the air. Oh, okay. Well, summer time is here, right? And you're probably spending a lot of time around the old pad, or maybe even in your apartment. Well, if you need some good stereo gear to put that time all together, Sights and Sounds on Kings Highway in Brooklyn can supply it. And for the least bread possible, they've got all the best equipment brands like Sony, Marantz, JBL, Infinity, Citation, or any name brand at prices that can't be beat. They've also got the largest sound room around, so uh, you know what you're buying before you buy it, and you know you really like it first. Come on down and speak to Crazy Eddie. <laughs> For a really crazy deal on any hi-fi system. He taught me how to laugh like that. They're open six days a week till 10, and every Sunday from noon to 5. And if you still don't have the time, you can call up and ask Crazy Eddie for an insane price quote on any total system. The number is 376-9774. You know, it was fine and all. You know, it was fine. Uh, but it was lacking something. It needed a DJ, I feel like, with a little chutzpah. Thank you for... That, that's the professional word they used in Brooklyn. Well, they were looking for a DJ, and that DJ was Dr. Jerry from WPIX-FM. Dr. Jerry got one of these uh, written commercials yes. that Eddie did, and Dr. Jerry read the slogan, his prices are insane, in an embellished and frenzied manner. Some might say that it sounded... Insane! Now, according to Dr. Jerry's recollection of said events, when Eddie heard Dr. Jerry's read on air, he called the station and said... He he has to read it exactly like that every 
time. Get a color TV or a Sony Betamax or a TV video game. Get it now because Crazy Eddie can't be beat. With prices so low, he's practically giving it all away. Shop around, get the best prices you can find. Then go to Crazy Eddie and Crazy Eddie will beat him. Remember, Crazy Eddie guarantees you the largest selection, professionally staffed service centers, and the guaranteed lowest prices. Crazy Eddie, his prices are insane. Now, all the success these radio ads were bringing people in, he opened a second store in 1973 in Syosset, New York. You know where Syosset is? I don't. I know where Syosset is. In Syosset, New York. Yes, I know where that is. Uh, now, a third storefront opened in 1975 in Manhattan. Oh, boy. Oh, oh boy. he's in the city? He's in the city. Now, having three successful stores meant that it was time to move on up from radio ads to... Television. Television. And since Dr. Jerry was such a pro at the radio, why not just have him do TV? Something that apparently he agreed to on the spot. In 1975, New York was introduced to the man that they would soon start to believe was actually Crazy Eddie. But not him. He's not Crazy Eddie. Dr. Jerry? It's Dr. Jerry. Wow. This commercial kind of plays into the 50s revival that was happening. There was Happy Days, Grease, you know, it was everything that was going on. Oh, oh, when you think you're ready, found new crazy Eddie, the man who's got most everything. Stereo sound, his audio selection, while with your perfection, he's the man with all the lowest prices around. So come on down and put him to the test. That that doo-wop commercial proved to be a hit. It was a Clio Award finalist. Oh, wow. Yeah, Clio Awards are given for excellence in advertising. Now, you know what else was really popular around this time? Saturday Night Fever. I think that's where they filmed Saturday Night Fever. It looks like, doesn't it look like it? Well, it was filmed at the exact same place they filmed the movie. Get the fuck out, yep. really? Yeah, and apparently it was very easy to recreate the lighting there because the lights from the film melted holes in the ceiling. Oh, easy. So they were like, oh, we know to put them. We know where the lights yeah, go. So I, yeah, they were able to work it out to actually film at the place they filmed Saturday Night Fever, which I thought was so funny. Crazy Eddie Fever. Catch it. Crazy Eddie knew that it didn't just have to be the holiday season to have deals or summertime to sell, you know, Memorial Day. No, 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 no. He could do it any time he wanted to do Mm -hmm. it. February, when we honor three great American leaders, Lincoln, Washington, and Crazy Eddie. Yes, Crazy Eddie has always been an American leader with the guaranteed lowest prices on anything and everything in home entertainment. Get it all now during Crazy Eddie's double barrel Lincoln and Washington's birthday sale. Shop around, get the lowest sale prices you can find, then go to Crazy Eddie and he'll beat them. Crazy Eddie's double barrel Lincoln and Washington's birthday sale going on now with prices even your forefathers would be proud of. Crazy Eddie, his prices are insane. 
And I mean, the company Crazy Eddie was becoming so popular that they could just make up their own holidays to do a sale. It's not the 4th of July, it's not Thanksgiving, it's not even Christmas. It's better than all those. It's Crazy Eddie Day. You'll save money like never before during Crazy Eddie's Crazy Eddie Day sale with the guaranteed lowest prices on anything and everything in home entertainment. Shop around, get the lowest sale prices you can find, then go to Crazy Eddie and he'll beat them. It's Crazy Eddie Day. Say big, big, big bucks during Crazy Eddie's Crazy Eddie Day sale. Crazy Eddie, his prices are insane. Thanks a lot. The commercial ended with him getting hit with a pie. Pie in the face. Why? Why not? Why exactly? Crazy Eddie Day. It's a it's a custom. It's a tradition. They used to do it in Aleppo. I think a lot of these commercials were a lot of why not. Crazy Eddie's. Uh, it was just they kept opening more and more stores. They were just getting more and more popular. The ads brought more and more people in. And it looked like everything was going well for Crazy Eddie. Well, it sounds like almost from the beginning that management at Crazy Eddie was doing some shady ass business stuff. Tons of fraud. He apparently knew a thing or two about insurance claims. Eddie had more fires and floods than the Bible. He convinces insurance adjusters that stacks of empty boxes contain damaged merchandise and collects hundreds of thousands of dollars on phony claims. But with his business expanding, Antar knows he risks becoming the target of surprise visits from financial auditors. Now, when the auditor wanted to go out and see the inventory, okay, what do we do? Our count sheets show us that X, our inventory is at Y. We have a problem. So they were trying to figure out finagles all the, all they could do. They were oh falsifying God. the books so they could reduce and even get rid of any taxable income they got. Uh, they were skimming thousands and thousands and thousands of dollars from the store and paying all their store employees off the books, which, by the way, they were employee, you know, family and family friends. So it's not like they family were, don't squeal. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Speaking of family, we'll get we'll introduce cousin Sammy and how we get into the company <laughs> in a second. Sammy. But this is. This is just a taste of Cousin Sammy talking about, you know, some of the business practices. The skimming was was handled now as a, like just as a division within the company. It became institutionalized within the company. That is not at all what I imagined as Cousin Sammy. Cousin Sammy, in my mind, was like a mobster. Cousin Sammy wrote this on his blog, White Collar Fraud. There was a culture at Crazy Eddie that said nothing should go to the government. Cash sales were routinely skimmed to steal sales tax and avoid paying income taxes. We did not want to support the government with our tax dollars. It did not deserve our hard-earned money. Cousin Sammy continues... We didn't like our customers any more than we liked the government. Mm. Customers were considered to be fools and to be taken advantage of. Eddie often told me, people live on hope. The Antar clan ruling Crazy Eddie and top management exploited the hopes and dreams of their victims in the pursuit of money and power. Eddie Antar skillfully developed a tightly knit, loyal company culture to ensure our, that our crimes went undetected and unreported. In the early years, a person was required to be a relative, a friend of the family, or a friend of a friend of the family to work for the company. There were no so-called, quote, employees. Rather, wow. rather, we were, quote, Crazy Eddie people. We called ourselves that. There was no, quote, punch 
lunch clocks or employee review sessions, everyone working at Crazy Eddie was considered part of the extended family. Oh my god. Eddie Antar was readily accessible to all of his Crazy Eddie people. If you had a problem, you went to Eddie and he took care of it. After the Christmas holiday season ended, Eddie Antar routinely doled out large cash bonuses to key employees. He developed a cult leader type status. Everyone looked up to him. Securities litigator Howard Sirota described Eddie Antar as a larger-than-life Brooklyn Fonz type figure. When a customer would pay in cash back then, Crazy Eddie stole the sales tax from that, which meant that it was an extra 8% of unreported gross profit. Oh, okay. Yeah. Now, Crazy Eddie was still at this point a small chain compared to like bigger stores, you know, like a Sears, you know, like where, sure. you know, Eddie had to do something to compete. If you're a retailer, the biggest single asset you usually have is inventory. And so if you can falsely claim inventory that you don't have, that boosts your assets. Eddie bought used and damaged merchandise and sold it as new. That used television is now in a heat-sealed plastic bag. It looks fine. Sometimes even if a customer wanted something that wasn't in stock, then they would take the floor model of that item and rebox it as a new. Or if someone returned that item, they would rebox it as new. He was even able to get his hands on some of the things that were the newest, hottest things on the market that were coming out. Uh-huh. Eddie also uses these underground connections for cornering the market on the next big thing. He knew the Walkman was a winner. He had shiploads of Walkmans on the water. Uh, by the time other people were looking to buy them and you couldn't buy them in quantity. In 1980, Cousin Sammy Antar is going to be coming in. Oh, finally we get to meet Cousin yeah, Sammy. He earned his CPA degree from Baruch College of City University of New York. Now, Sammy actually started working at Crazy Eddie when he was 14 as a stock boy. So he was he was familiar with the ins and outs of the company, you know, and he, he understood it. He said, my family put me through college to help them commit more sophisticated fraud in the future. I was trained to be a criminal. Mm -hmm. So now that Cousin Sammy was done with school, it was time for him to, you know, go back, get a job, help out the company. He was an accountant now and, you know, they could really use an accountant on board. Eddie even already had his next move plan. And this kind of shows you another example of how Eddie was a step ahead. Uh, Sammy was able to get an apprenticeship with the crazy Eddie auditor, Penn and Horowitz. He was able to get the position without them knowing that he worked at Crazy Eddie or for Crazy Eddie or had any connection to Crazy Eddie. Sammy getting that job gave Eddie and his cohorts all kinds of insider information. He was able to find any little holes in the auditing process that Eddie could fill to help benefit the company. One of Eddie's big goals was to take the company public. He wanted Crazy Eddie to be on Wall Street, baby. Crazy Wall Street. So one of the first steps that if you want to go public is you have to go a crazy financial audit. Sammy was able to arrange for an inexperienced new auditor to do the audit. The auditor gets distracted at the front of the store. While he's distracted, uh, the back stock is getting loaded with a bunch of empty boxes uh, that, you know, mm -hmm. look like TVs are in there. So, you know, while he's distracted, okay, that's getting ha done. Oh, there's seven boxes. Okay, and he's just writing it down. Okay, you know, 
writes it down. Then he gets distracted again. Eddie's able to take the book, forge the numbers. I guess it said if it was at tens, he would write, change it to a four or a seven. And then he made copies of the auditor's notebook to tell him where the next stores that were going to be audited were. So then Crazy Eddie could have his guys take those empty boxes, load up a truck, go to the next location, fill those there to make it look like there's all this inventory in that store, and then go to the next one. So it was just one of those things always a step ahead, and it was just like a machine. I mean, it's it's... It, it really, it certainly helped to have uh, Sammy be the auditor spy in general for Crazy Eddie. Sammy also said that one of the ways that they made money was essentially just stealing. Uh, he said, as a corrupt private company, we had the advantage. Back then, most customers paid in cash. If we didn't, don't disclose the sale, we kept the sales tax. Like I said that. That's a good cushion to be able to afford to beat the competition. They would try and hide all this extra cash they were getting Anywhere they could. I mean, under people's beds, in <laughs> ceilings, in floors, what in, in tons on? of safety deposit boxes. All those years of accounting school for Sammy was finally paying off for Eddie. It was time to up the fraud even more. No, please stop. Yeah, <laughs> no more skimming at the register. It was time to go bigger. But to go bigger... By meaning going public, they had to go straight first. So for a few years, they did everything by the book. They actually, they even overpaid on their income taxes, apparently. So from 1980 to 1984, Crazy Eddie was being run like a legit business. And so, you know, they knew that four years, I mean, I feel like that's the thing is they knew that it was, it was a long plan. Wow. Crazy Eddie's ended up going public in 1984. In two years, the stock shot up from $8 to around $80 a share in two years' time. Two years. Guess who owned most of the company's stock? Crazy Eddie himself. The Antar family, yeah. With the money that Eddie made from going public, he opened 26 more stores in three year, in under three years. This is from Mental Floss. Uh, between 1975 and 1984, Crazy Eddie recorded profits in the millions by using register skimming to underreport income. Repair services were billed to manufacturers at three times their actual cost, and customers would often be flipped by one, two, or three salesmen trained in the Crazy Eddie method of coercion. You had one person with the customer, the switchover, or the SO, Sammy explains. The second would be the takeover, or TO. If he failed, you'd call the third, the NAD, the nail him at the door guy. Some of this was plotted in a language unique to Eddie's work culture. We spoke a kind of Arabic pig Latin, Sammy says. We had a dictionary that would be passed around. We wanted employees to feel a part of the family culture. That culture would soon grow to include securities fraud on a level never seen before in retail. Mm. Things actually started to go south for Crazy Eddie shortly before the company went public in 1984. So I've mentioned Eddie's wife, Debbie, a couple times. Debbie Rosen. I guess they constantly argued and things were just generally not going well for the couple. Eddie, I guess, apparently was kind of a ladies' man. He actually started to have an affair with a younger woman. What? Yep. Can you guess the younger woman's name? Debbie. Debbie, exactly. On New Year's Eve 1984, Eddie and younger Debbie, which I'm going to, she's going to be known as younger Younger Debbie Debbie now, they went out to celebrate the new year. 1984, baby. All right. We're about to go public. 
Now, for years, there had been trouble brewing in the greater Antar family. Eddie's father, Sam, who still owned a third of the company, he started to grow resentful of Eddie's success and the two-thirds that he was bringing in. Sam wasn't the only one who was jealous. Uh, Eddie's family wasn't happy with their end of the bargain they were getting and stuff. They felt like Eddie was making way more money than them, and they were holding on to all these secrets. Sam, his dad, was tipped off that Eddie would be out celebrating New Year's with younger Debbie. So uh, Sam had his daughter and daughter-in-law accompany wife Debbie to uh, go catch Eddie in the act. Wife Debbie found Eddie with younger Debbie, and they were about to get in a stretch limo, of course. A fight on the street ensued, I guess. When it was over, the rift between Eddie and his dad grew even more, obviously. And this has now become known as, I guess Cousin Sammy calls it, the New Year's Eve Massacre. Shortly after, wife Debbie filed for divorce from Crazy Eddie. She would soon become ex-wife Debbie. The major fraud uh, that had been happening relied on family keeping, you know, secrets and trusting each other and being tight-lipped. Well, that incentive started to uh, start fading away. Now, Sammy, Cousin Sammy, Cousin Sammy, not Dad Sam, Cousin Sammy would uh, get a promotion. He would become the chief financial officer of Crazy Eddie in 1986. Soon after, he was informed that there was $3 million in a deficit that from the previous year's inventory that he needed to needed to hide somehow. Just figure it out. Just go ahead and do that. And on top of that, uh, he was told that he needed to find ways to show a 10% growth in sales. Now, one of Sammy's major schemes was a money laundering operation that later became known as the Panama Pump. It was money that the Antars had deposited in Israeli bank accounts, and then they transferred that to bank accounts in Panama, or they pumped it. Now, of course, they used fake names, they opened accounts, and they drafted payments to Crazy Eddie. So Crazy Eddie resigned as president of his own company in December 1986. This is from uh, Cousin Sammy's blog, White Collar Fraud. By early 1987, the Antar clan had sold most of Crazy Eddie's stock and pocketed approximately $90 million in proceeds. At that time, Crazy Eddie started losing money for the first time in almost two decades. The value of Crazy Eddie's stock tanked from a split-adjusted price of $80 per share to around $5.00. Per share, the remaining shares of Crazy Eddie stock held by the Antars had relatively little value. The company's future prospects were dim because of dropping consumer electronic prices and increased competition. The economic ties that kept the family together continued committing crimes after the infamous New Year's Eve massacre faded away. So, all this family infighting started not doing good things for the company. Fuck House of Gucci, this is the movie. Ray, what are you thankful for this month? Well, Rob, I'm thankful that we have so many great This Was a Thing listeners and that so many of them financially support us so we can continue to dive as deep as we can into the cultural happenings of yesteryear. And support my Hummel habit. Want to help us be even more thankful? Head on over to Patreon.com, that's P-A-T-R-E-O-N.com, and search for This Was a Thing and set a monthly donation. Even a dollar a month helps us. Your contributions help us continue you doing what we are doing and what are you doing this november rob by being thankful that we can have as much diet canned cranberry sauce as we want gotta get my p90 eximus body on ow pulled a hamstring 
Go lay down, Rob. Mm. We are thankful for all of you, and we'll be even more thankful if you can head on over to Patreon.com. In April 1987, four months after Eddie announced that he was stepping down, he announced that he, in fact, hadn't resigned as president, but he actually uh, just dismissed some other employees, including his dad, Sam. He fired Sam? He fired his own father. Oh, my God. By now, Eddie had been divorced from wife Debbie, and he married younger Debbie. So, technically... Younger Debbie is now wife Debbie now, but to maintain some semblance of continuity, I'm, I'm going to keep calling her Younger Debbie because she can't. But she's now his yeah, wife. Yeah, she is his wife now. Eddie then also cashed out his share in his crazy Eddie stock worth between 25 and $30 million. So Eddie was like, you know what? I'm done playing with Wall Street. I like my cash. And then there started to be rumors of a possible hostile takeover. There were people that were interested in buying the company on the cheap, quote unquote. They had no idea of the fraud they were getting into. They just thought, oh, okay, well, this company is on the decline. Or I bet we could just do some things to turn it around. You know, they, ha- they have all the inventory. Oh, no. Crazy Eddie and-, and his crew then were afraid that, you know, a takeover would, uh, I don't know expose their fraud exactly now they were like well let's go private again they found an investor who proposed a takeover at seven dollars a share so they're like okay we found our guy all right but then a separate investor came in offering eight dollars a share and one dollar more a share to investors is one dollar more a share in May 1987, Eddie had a disagreement with two longtime employees, uh, Arnold Spindler and Abe Grinberg. Arnold and Abe were close friends with Eddie's brothers, and uh, Eddie's brothers were on what I'm going to be calling now Team Sam. Eddie's dad is Team dad. Sam. Yeah. Okay. So Eddie's brothers, Eddie's ex-wife, and I'm sure a couple other people were on Team Sam against Eddie. Team Sam got together and tried to cook up a plan to get revenge on Crazy Eddie. Arnold and Abe, the two guys that had a disagreement with Eddie, went to the Securities and Exchange Commission, the SEC, to tell them all about Crazy Eddie's uh, numerous frauds. But they left out that uh, most of Team Sam had been a part Uh of a lot of those frauds. They gave secret numbers to some Israeli bank accounts, but they didn't mention anything about the skimming of the cash because the skimming of the cash helped benefit Team Sam in the long run, obviously. By November 1987, Crazy Eddie, the company, had been taken over. Crazy Eddie, the man, would no longer be part of Crazy Eddie uh, as he was pushed out of the company uh, with the rest of his family. Here's a clip of Victor Palmieri, who was the head of the takeover. As things heated up around Crazy Eddie, noted turnaround artist Victor Palmieri made a move to buy the company in 1987. He told NBC News back then, There's a certain attraction, that kind of a fatal attraction. We were in this meeting, you know, to negotiate some kind of uh, takeover. And Eddie says, Victor, you don't know what you're getting yourself into. And Palmieri says, I want the company. It's mine. It's mine. What happens? if you actually get bought by a legitimate outfit. Big problem, my friend. Palmieri got his wish. Between two weeks and 20 days after the takeover, the new owners decided, hey, let's let's do an inventory of, no, all, don't. <laughs> of all the Crazy Eddie stores and warehouses that no, we just acquired, no, you know? don't do it. They found 
empty warehouses and inflated earnings. Yes, they they estimated to have found between 40 and 50 million dollars in inventory that didn't even exist. Uh. What followed then were dozens of class action lawsuits filed against Eddie and all of his co-conspirators. Team Sam was still in the clear, though. They were doing okay. Because uh, they hadn't incriminated themselves. At this point, no one knew that Team Sam had flipped, so they just thought that the new management had, had found, figured this yeah, out. Had figured this stuff out, and then Team Eddie started blaming the new management for making false allegations against Team Eddie. Now, by June 1988, suppliers for Crazy Eddie demanded that all stores and co- the company be liquidated so that they could get back some of the money that they were owed to them. Then in March 1989, 17 Crazy Eddie stores closed. Then in June of 1989, Crazy Eddie, the company, got hit with another legal blow. Oh boy, five of their creditors were owed a total of $860,000. So they served them with a petition saying they wanted the company to be forced into bankruptcy. And uh, 15 days after being served the petition, Crazy Eddie, the company, voluntarily filed for Chapter 11 bankruptcy protection. Now, I had to look this up because I never really knew. Uh, Chapter 11 permits uh, reorganization for companies as opposed to Chapter 7, which has companies liquidate their assets. Essentially, the government gave them the chance to reorganize as opposed to just completely close down. The new CEO said that... His brand was still as strong as ever and that the 26 stores would, you know, they would remain open, but sales just continued to keep going down. And by the fall of 1989, the shelves in the store didn't have any stock, even the stock that they did have, because it was bought and suppliers weren't restocking them. So it was just, you know, nothing. By the end of 1989, the last of their 26 stores closed their doors. So what happened to the other people? Well, the story now continues in a courtroom. Uh Uh-oh. Now, while the company went belly up, Team Eddie was obviously scrambling. Like, around the early part of 1989, Cousin Sammy, you know, the financial whiz. Cousin Sammy. He he had learned somehow of uh, Arnold and Abe's involvement with the government. So he also learned that they left out the incriminating information about themselves. So Cousin Sammy goes to Eddie and tells him about what happened and how they flipped and how, you know, Team Sammy is, you know, not incriminating themselves. Eddie replied, Sammy, you're on your own. No, Cousin Sammy. Yep. On September 6, 1989, Crazy Eddie the Man was charged with securities fraud and illegal insider trading by the SEC. Then in January of 1990, a federal district judge ordered Eddie to transfer back $50 million from the Israeli bank accounts. Mm-hmm. After being ordered to explain what happened to the money, he failed to appear in court. Then a week later, he surrendered you know, uh, and was ordered to appear at a second hearing. Now, after all this shenanigans, he wanted to seek immunity. So Cousin Sammy decided that it was time for him to uh, talk to investigators. So he's going to turn. Yes. So Cousin Sammy is going to turn because, you know, Crazy Eddie said, you're on your own. Didn't Eddie have an idea? Like, if I turn this guy out, he might try to do this? Eddie probably had such felt like he had such a hold over people <sighs> that he never thought that people 
Eddie, would Eddie, flip Eddie. on him. Yeah. So Cousin Sammy decided it was time to go talk to investigators, and Crazy Eddie decided it was time for him to look into getting a fake passport. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Eddie. He'd flee the country to Israel. Surprise, surprise, where the money is. Now, back in the States, Cousin Sammy pleaded guilty to three felonies. He avoided jail time in exchange for his testimony, and he was sentenced to six months house arrest. 1,200 hours community service, three years probation, and then he had to pay more than $10,000 in fines. Part of Sammy's testimony helped get most of Team Sam in trouble for all their illegal stuff then. The government ultimately gained access to key documents in Israel, which provided evidence of secret anti-family bank accounts through a treaty known as the Hague Convention. Crazy Eddie would try and take money out of a secret bank account in Geneva. It'd been frozen by the government, though. He obviously was very angry and could do nothing about it except for head back to Israel. But because of him trying to get money out at the bank, the guy at the bank called in law enforcement. Law enforcement was able to catch up with him when he got back to Israel. And this is from Masterminds. And I think this really just is a no surprise at how Mr. Crazy Eddie was able to finally get caught. He was caught when he left the apartment and he started driving and they had a female police officer who was wearing a micro mini dress and no underwear and bent over the hood of the car exposing herself knowing Eddie couldn't resist. He stopped, he got out, he patted her on the ass, said that's a great ass and she said you're under arrest <laughs> and handcuffed him. <laughs> now, Eddie got arrested in June of 1992, June of 1992, on federal racketeering conspiracy. Surprise, surprise. Now, the same day as Eddie's arrest, there was a busy day, the FBI arrested two members from Team Sam. Eddie's dad, Sam, and some others avoided criminal charges due to not having enough evidence against them because, uh, well, there was no evidence because uh, they destroyed it all. Eddie got extradited to the U.S. in January of 1993, so he spent six months in Israeli prison. This is a news clip from right after they brought him back. Antar said he's done nothing illegal and sees himself as a victim. Yes, I believe I'm a victim. Of what? Of circumstances, some of them my own, of which I'm willing to take the blame for. Some of them not my own. Some of them may be the government. If found guilty of the 19 federal counts against him, Antar faces fines of $160 million and 100 years in prison. I uh, think about it, but I know that I'm right. That's why I want to go to trial. I want my day in court. I guess, uh, like you say, maybe, uh, maybe I really am crazy. His trial began in June 1993 in Newark, New Jersey. Eddie and his brothers, now that they were in court fighting the same charges, had to band together, which was, you know, nice to see we love family when... get together yes. to proclaim, proclaim their innocence. They tried to blame everything on Cousin Sammy. Surprise, oh, surprise. No, Cousin yep. Sammy. Even though they were the ones that pocketed over $90 million from illegal trading, amongst other things. On July 20th, 1993, Eddie was found guilty of 17 counts of fraud. Uh, his brother Mitchell was found guilty on three counts of fraud, while his other brother Alan was acquitted of all charges. Eddie was sentenced to 12 and a half years in prison. His lawyers immediately filed an appeal saying that they believed there was bias in the presiding judge. 
Then on April 12th, 1995, Eddie and Mitchell's convictions were overturned. What? Why? By federal appeals panel. The U.S. prosecutor vowed to begin a new trial and even called Eddie the, quote, Darth Vader of capitalism. He wanted to avoid a retrial, Eddie and Mitchell. They, they wanted to avoid a retrial. So they wanted a pleading guilty to the criminal charges. Uh, Eddie would serve roughly seven years in prison while Mitchell would serve about two years. Now, over $75 million would be recovered from Eddie from the government and other parties that were suing him. $2 million was recovered from Mitchell. Various other co-conspirators pleaded guilty to various other crimes while also cooperating with any other investigations for the crazy Eddie the company. So they... They, 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 I think once Eddie, once they realized Eddie was going down, they're like, well, I think it's time to yeah. uh, go ahead and change our mind. July 15th, 1998, the rest of Team Sam that escaped criminal prosecution uh, ended up being found liable for securities fraud in a civil action prosecuted by the SEC. With all the civil judgments against everyone involved, the fraud amounted to more than $1 billion. Oh, my God. God. The efforts to recover additional money from all guilty parties on behalf of the defrauded stockholders took almost a decade and a half. There's been some attempts to revive Crazy Eddie as the brand. Shortly after it was originally closed, a group from New Jersey bought the trademark right to Crazy Eddie, bought two former stores. Nothing ever ended up happening. In 1998, the grandchildren of Eddie, Allen, and Mitchell, the Antar brothers, uh, revived Crazy Eddie with a store in Wayne, New Jersey, and a website, crazyeddieonline.com, and they kept the Prices Are Insane logo and even brought back Dr. Jerry Carroll to do the ads, who was now running his own advertising company now. So, you know, he parlayed his advertising success. One store did open, only lasted about a year. 2001, Eddie was out of prison, so he decided it was time to return to the company that he helped found. Still operating, but it was only an internet and buy by the phone retailer. They changed the website to crazyeddie.com, getting rid of that clunky online. Everyone knew everything was online by then. By 2004, that revamped, better worded website was gone. They tried to revive it again. No dice. Crazy Eddie trademark was, uh, you know, kind of got flipped around over time. At one point, the company that owned it uh, put it on eBay. You could buy it now for $800,000 to own the trademark and license for it. High bid they got was $30,100. Since the highest bid didn't meet the reserve, no one got the rights to Crazy Eddie. As of 2018, the Crazy Eddie trademark is listed as abandoned. So a company that at its peak had 43 stores, like I said, $350 million was done, gone, kaput, all because of greed. NBC News did a piece on the story of Crazy Eddie, which features Cousin Sammy quite a bit. Uh, But it also features Crazy Eddie and Cousin Sammy being face-to-face for the first time since the trial. Oh, my God. For the first time since the trial, Sam and Eddie face-to-face in the same room. The meeting was about reconciliation. Conversation started with redemption. I think I've thought about it for the last couple of days. I think redemption is a noble cause. It's not important to me in the great scheme of things. I want nothing. You know, please do not not interrupt me. Please do not interrupt me. I will not interrupt you. Go ahead, Eddie. After 20 years, I owe you that. Redemption is about forgiveness. And forgiveness means that you have to be able to forgive yourself. That I cannot do. If you cannot cannot forgive yourself... You know, I ask you not to interrupt. If you continue to interrupt, then we really have no reason to go forward with this conversation. Okay. Go ahead, Eddie. I went to prison for seven years. Hard time prison. 
I was a fugitive for two years. I was three years on probation. It's 12 years of my life. Gone, in a sense. But no blame to anybody else other than myself. Eddie may not blame Sam for the time he spent behind bars, but Sam certainly holds Eddie accountable to a large extent for how his life turned out. You brought us up to be crooks, Eddie. You thought everything I became came from you, Eddie. Okay? Now, I don't blame myself, but everything I became, I learned from you. You didn't just learn from me. We learned yes. from, uh, we learned, yes, the like culture. you learned, we learned the culture. That's right. So it's not that I taught you, you knew the culture. Good. So do not sit there and, by the way, do not raise your voice to me. And you don't I will do call. whatever I damn well please. You know, I fought what, things what, like crazy. Me? Doing Sam, it for myself, I fought. I stayed there and I took the heat. You ran. You ran like a coward. I'm not a coward, Sam. Yes. You left me I didn't, I, didn't, I, didn't, I didn't leave. Nothing, you're not even a friend. You're just a thug. Just like me. Two-bit thug. Can you forgive, can you forgive Eddie? No. Because I can't forgive myself. Altogether, when you put... All of the radio and TV ads combined them. Crazy Eddie put out over 7,500 commercials. Wow. 7,500. At the height of the company, uh, this this one's crazy. Crazy Eddie is said to have had more name recognition in New York City than Coca-Cola <laughs> and Mayor Ed Koch. Oh, my gosh. Who was the mayor of New York at the time. <laughs> crazy Eddie paved the way for things that are absolutely commonplace and retail today. Like fraud? Yeah, exactly. Uh, Crazy Eddie was responsible for the demise of Blue Laws, which I didn't know, which was, uh, it prevented retailers from opening on Sundays. I didn't know that was an actual thing. Yes, yes. Uh, and it was one of the first major retailers to actually be open on Sundays and Christmas, New Year's, and Thanksgiving. Now every major retailer does it. In the very early 70s, they advertised a, quote, free price quote line that you could call to, get a price quote, you know, it would ring on a payphone on a wall. No one expected it to ever ring, and it started ringing off the hook, and that payphone would evolve into one of the first electronically managed call centers. Oh, my gosh. I thought, you know, since this story was so insane to lighten the mood, here are some bloopers of Dr. Jerry Carroll. It's Crazy Eddie's greatest Christmas sale ever. Get anything and everything in home entertainment on sale now. You know, I ran out of gas. Crazy Eddie's got it all on sale now. All of the guaranteed lowest sale prices. Shop around, get the lowest sale prices you can find, then go to Crazy Eddie and he'll beat them. It's Crazy Eddie. Oh, Jerry made a big mistake. Okay. Oh. It's Crazy Eddie's greatest microwave oven sale ever. Crazy Eddie's got all the major brands of microwave ovens. Panasonic, Sanyo, Sharp, Toshiba, and microwave cookware from, oh, it's Crazy Eddie's greatest microwave oven sale ever. Crazy Eddie's got all the major brands of microwave ovens. Panasonic, Sanyo, Sharp, Toshiba, and microwave cookware from Corning and Regal. I get it. Fucked up. So after the break, it's going to be a really crazy story. I'm going to tell you all about crazy cousin Sammy. Oh, yeah, he got his life turned around after the break. This was a thing. This was a thing. And now, this is a sketch. You have a phone call from... This is insane! Do you accept the charges? Yes. 
Listen, you gotta get me out of here. This is insane. Jerry, what the hell's going on? Slow down. You're in jail? They got the wrong guy. They think that I'm Eddie, but I'm not Eddie. I'm Jerry. This mix-up can't be beat. You didn't tell them that you were Jerry? It didn't matter. I've been in thousands of commercials telling these fine officers about the killer deals. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Watch what you say over the phone, Jerry. You don't understand. All I've got in this little room is a toilet, but not just any toilet. A nickel-plated toilet brought to you by the fine people at Moen. But this thing isn't just any toilet. Its features include... Jerry, slow down. Have you been eating? Eating? I eat every day. Yes, three meals a day. They give me meat. I don't know what kind of meat, but they tell me it's meat, so I feel like it's gotta be meat. What I'm saying is... I'm going insane! Just make sure you blend in, Jerry. Don't cause any trouble. Oh, I'm blending in all right. I got tattoos, prison tattoos, and they're not just any prison tattoos. I got the logos of Magnavox, Toshiba, RCA, and Sony. You cannot beat these prison tattoos. You got tattoos? That's right. My friend named D-Block made a contraption out of an old pen that he smuggled in here. Not just any kind of smuggling. He keistered it. I'm learning all new kinds of things in prison. It's insane! Keistering? It's when you make sure to shove it up your butt, all the way up your butt, way, way up your butt. Well, because D-Block keistered in this pen, I promised him a VCR. But not just any VCR, a brand new Panasonic PV2501 VCR. And I need you to bring it to me, me, me! A VCR? How the hell am I going to get that in there? You stick it up your butt, way up your butt, all the way up your butt. Hello? Hello? Thank you. This was a sketch. Crazy Eddie sadly passed away in September of 2016 at the age of 68. Now, like I said, Cousin Sammy has now led a much different life after this was all over. This is from the NBC News piece. Sam Antar, of all things, is working as a forensic accountant out to rid the world of white-collar crime. Everybody can be a potential criminal. So good at what he does that accounting firms, universities, even the FBI and SEC invite him to lecture. His blog, whitecollarfraud.com. Why are you doing this right now? Why are you going around for free? You say you're doing this for free. Maybe I'm building a false wall of integrity around me. That's what criminals do. What I did was pure evil. I'm going to probably fry in hell for many years before I get upstairs. And what's actually even crazier that Howard Sirota, who they, yeah, you know, Howard Sirota, they interview him and he's an investigator into like fraud cases and stuff. And now he uses Cousin Sammy as a forensic accountant. And they're like, why would you use, you know, he's like, he's good. Everyone uses him. <laughs> <laughs> like Cousin Sammy has become like a leading person in this field it's like the catch me if you can guy exactly i really enjoy cousin sammy's story and so do I. good on him because he really has so much more information for the government than just some random guy going like i'm guessing this is how the mind of a criminal would work <laughs> i don't know I, I i feel like he's very useful to the law cousin sammy yeah I love Cousin Sammy. And you know what's very useful to this show? What? A game! Take it away, Mark! This was a thing and now it's a quiz. This is a This Was a Quiz. With Mark Schroeder. 
So in Pennsylvania growing up, did they have Crazy Eddies or were you aware of Crazy Eddies when you were growing up? They didn't. They had, uh, we didn't have a character. I'm trying to think if we had a character that I remember that was Punxsutawney local to us. Phil. We had Punxsutawney <laughs> Phil once a year would tell us uh, what our weather was going to be. But no, I wish we had characters like this that were known through those commercials. But Some of those local Penn State commercials, though, those were pretty epic. Uh, I'm trying to remember. So I don't know if I recall any of the Penn State oh, commercials. Oh, this is Joe Paterno. <laughs> <Uh-oh>. <laughs> I see nothing. I say nothing. You like stereo equipment? <laughs> As I was learning about Crazy Eddie, though, I was thinking like Crazy Eddie's pretty funny. He's got a pretty good name, but I don't think anybody was actually convinced that he was actually crazy like I no it's a cra- no. crazy thing to be thrown around there but there are some famous people out there who are able to convince a jury of their peers that they were crazy and we're going to find out who was able to convince a jury that they might be crazy with a little game called you want to get nuts come on let's get nuts i'm going to read off a list of names of famous criminal defendants through history and rob and ray you're going to work together you're going to tell me if that person attempted to use the insanity defense in oh court. okay or not. Okay. Regardless of whether it was successful or not, if they tried to use the insanity defense. And depending on your final score, I'll decide if you boys are guilty or not guilty. Okay. All okay. right. OJ Simpson. Not, no. No. No, no, he, did, he not. did not use that. That's correct. Lorena Bobbitt. No. No. Yes, successfully. Oh. She successfully used the wow. insanity defense. John Hinckley Jr. Yeah. Yes. Yes, that is correct. And he got out on it too. Yeah. Eileen Warnos. She was the serial killer oh a uh, monster yeah uh sure yeah yeah no she's not trying no. to use that one phil specter yeah. yeah no what no. Mm-hmm. ed gein uh y- yes I think so yes and successfully he was institutionalized charles manson no no, no never tried to use it jeffrey dahmer yeah, yeah. yes it was rejected but robert blake no. no, 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 Robert Blake. That's uh, I think five out of ten. I think you. Ooh. Yikes! Uh, I'm gonna let you guys off just this wow. once. But Thank second you. offense, you know what? You're not guilty. You're gonna get off, but you're spending the rest of your lives in an institution. Can it just be a warning? Okay, so before we go to prison, uh, Ray, you want to tell people about our social media oh, <laughs> and uh, where they can send bail? Yeah, <laughs> just go ahead and uh, go to Instagram. This was a thing pod. Website, this was a thing.com or patreon.com slash this was a thing. Go ahead, old Lucy level five dollars a month gets you exclusive content, and we could really use that to get out of the old clink. Bailiff, put them on the dollies, put the Hannibal Lecter masks on them. I, that's how I want them institutionalized. Wait, before I put the mask on, let me say a joke. Hello, Dolly. All right, folks, we'll talk to you next week. Bye. <laughs> Thanks for listening to This Was a Thing, and a big thanks to the folks that keep this show running. Our editor, Daniel Cutcut Schwartzberg, our composer, Billy Better Than DC Reese, our social media director, Gabe Hashtag Crawford, our graphic designer, Natalie's Nothing's Too Graphic DeSavia, and finally, our games coordinator, Mark the Shark Schroeder. 
If you liked what we did today, make sure to head on over to iTunes to rate and review us. The more stars you leave us, the more love we feel. Hey, speaking of love, show us some social media love. Follow us on Instagram and Twitter at This Was A Thing Pod and Facebook we are This Was A Thing Podcast. Reach out, we'd love to hear from you. And if you really liked what we did today, head on over to Patreon.com and become one of our sponsors and you'll get access to special episodes, interviews, and merch. That's Patreon. Search This Was A Thing and support us so we can keep doing this show. 